Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, what is up, people? You know that sound. It is the unfiltered band. Means yes, another episode of Unfiltered coming your way right here, right now. Officially, this will go down as episode number 221. You can get on board the Unfiltered Revolution 24 7 365. It's easy. Get on Twitter or X, if you will, at Casey Stern. Get up in the bio. Hop on the YouTube channel. You can get all of the interviews and conversations and rants and all sorts of things over the first 220 episodes plus. And, of course, Apple, Spotify, and everywhere where you get your podcasts, where most of you listen to us. And thank you for listening to the Unfiltered Band. We appreciate you and for you being on board. We'll get to a lot here on this uh, program albeit in a short time here as I do this on a happy Halloween uh, morning. We'll get into the Rangers taking a 2-1 lead in the World Series, going into the bullpenning game, coming up in Game 4. Talk a little bit about uh, the mess that has been the uh, James Harden voyage as he is on his way out to the Clippers, and uh, a little bit, a uh, minute or two at least, on the Francis Ngannou what I thought was a win in every way that could be a win, even if it wasn't that way on the scorecards against Tyson Fury in that boxing match down in Saudi the other night. Uh, we, as always, are here in large part presented by our good friends on Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your sports betting needs. You get latest odds, lines, matchup reports, baseball, boxing, golf, basketball, much, much more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to get all your wagers, live betting, favorite casino, and card games. They're all available to play right from your phone. Head over to the website, use your mobile device to sign up today. Get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code Believe. It's B L E A V. Fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. As we get started here on a Halloween morning, I am not uh, dressing up. I am not going to any Halloween uh, gatherings. My kids have had a couple. Um, I actually had one where I had to dress up, but I just uh, went kind of the, I guess, the backdoor way of like sort of doing a Halloween costume by just like doing a mask and gloves. Um, I have eaten a lot of candy, though, so that works out. What else is going on to keep you posted on that you don't care about? Oh, well, obviously, while the Diamondbacks were getting ready last night before the World Series game, which I'll get into here, uh, that ended up giving the Rangers a two to one lead. Uh, my Diamondbacks, uh, my son Lucas's uh, team, his little league team, the D backs won in the quarterfinals and moved on to the semis on Thursday night. So they are very excited. So uh, both Diamondbacks in the playoffs, one more interesting and more important to you than the other. So let's get into that one. And game number three, and a little bit of a recap of what went down. First of all, I got to say this because it gets lost in it, especially because they lost the game. But Brandon Fott is so cool, so calm, and so poised in moments where he shouldn't be. There was even a double play early in the game. might have been the third inning where, I mean, he just in that moment, in that spot, it, it doesn't matter whether it's his pitching or in a situation like that, kind of taking that deep breath, turn towards second base and turn that double play. I mean, he just seems to you know, relish this moment, but is so poised with it for a guy who, look, I mean, you know, no matter if you're highly touted or if you're not, or what your scenario is, I mean, if you're not coming in and dominating, which was not the story for him, at least when he first came in, uh, this year in his rookie year, 
you know, you're not coming into even the postseason with the highest level of confidence or being, you know, a guy who's been in any of those moments. And for him to have some of the performances that he's had, man, it's just been awesome to watch. So Fott's been somebody that I, I really enjoyed kind of getting to watch pitch a lot over these last few weeks. And yesterday, no different. I know, obviously, he gets into some trouble, which we'll get into uh, in that third inning. But I thought, you know, for me, the way he pitched overall – uh, in his five plus or whatever innings it was. I mean, I thought he was terrific. The the big key in this game and the turning point came early in this game. Second inning, Christian Walker, you know, blasts one into the gap and gets into a spot where, you know, Tommy Pham, who was at the time going five for his last five, dumps in a single and, you know, Walker gets the stop sign at third. Blows through it. I mean, speaking of Little League, I mean, this is something that happens. I know on my son's team all the time where no matter how much we try or coaches or anybody try to impart uh, any kind of wisdom to keep your head up or to listen to your coaches, there's a lot of noise on the field with parents and kids screaming, and they lose their third base coach all the time. Not something you expect to see in a World Series game. But Walker gets uh, banged out at home. And then you get a couple of batters later, that amazing play uh, where, you know, unfortunately Max was you know, okay, at least from this standpoint, I know he leaves with the back tightness, but it looked like it hit him on his elbow, perhaps right off that ricochet. I mean, young makes a fantastic bare hand, great play. And in a span of three, four batters where you absolutely should have at the very least taken the lead in this game, you don't get any runs. And you knew especially in games like this, that that was going to come back to haunt them, and it did. Top of the next inning, Corey Seager, after Semyon gets an RBI single and gets up to Schneider, if you will, Seager gets a two-run home run, and Texas has got a 3 nothing lead, and all of a sudden, within a span of about maybe half an hour of real time, bottom of the second, top of the th everything had changed. Max ends up out with the trainer in the fourth inning, you're a Ranger fan. You're worried about that. And here comes John Gray, who gets nine out of 10 hitters out and has had absolutely no problem transitioning to the bullpen. And it's been an amazing story to watch. They profiled it a lot during the broadcast yesterday, but it really has been amazing to see just the seamless transition that Gray has had going from being a starter and look, having ups and downs, let's be fair, even as a starter during the course of his career in Colorado, now Texas, and then moving down into the bullpen. Um, I remember talking to John Gray. The first time I interviewed him, had a very inter interesting conversation where he was telling me that him and his girlfriend like to learn about and do their own fair share of ghost chasing. And he was telling me about all the, the stuff that they had studied and read and that he, you know, had had gone out and, and, you know, minimally done some of it. He's very much into horror. I guarantee you if he was not busy tonight, we'll be dressing up for Halloween. But right now... I mean, he ain't afraid of no ghost, as they said in Ghostbusters. I mean, this moment has not been too big for him. He's been fantastic transitioning to the bullpen. He was great last night. And he, clearly the unsung hero, or one of the heroes of this game for Texas. Chapman was going to be iffy for you. You knew that that was going to be that way. I remember I tweeted or posted out, whatever you want to call it, at the time, Chapman going to Chapman when he came in, and he almost Chapman, or, or rolled his Kimbrel, as I like to call him, because honestly, the difference between the two is not much, but somehow Chapman gets out of it. Part of that somehow, a beautiful, barehanded, 
double play that was started by Corey Seager. And then you lock it down the clerk, and that's all she wrote. And Texas wins kind of a fairly clean game. Most of everything that happened in terms of the game happened within a half an hour's period of, of real time again, and from the bottom of the second, top of the third inning. Outside of the big thing that happened at the end of the game that now will linger beyond, even though not more so, most important thing up two to one, but certainly beyond game three and now into the rest of the series. And that is the status of Adoles Garcia. They said left uh, side tightness. Clearly, that looked like an oblique. I've seen it happen to hitters. I've been, uh, I've been in spring training. We actually have seen seen it happen live. And then you talk to hitters after, and you talked about the pain and the and, and some of what they go through. And the idea, if it's an oblique, that he would be able to play in that series is not a realistic idea in the rest of the series. But. Is it a strain in his side? Is it something they could work through? Is it something they could manage the pain? Is it something where, you know, he may not be at, at top form, but he can swing and at least they can keep him in the lineup. Can he throw? I mean, it, you know, it, it depends where it bothers him, how it bothers him. And 24 hours later, obviously, right now is going to be where they'll really kind of get an idea of exactly how bad the soreness is and what the situation is. I'd be surprised, especially up 2-1 in the series, not being a game seven, if he was out there tonight for game four, uh, game five, uh, game four. Jeez, I'll learn and I'll learn addition eventually, game four. But I, I'd be surprised if he was out there tonight for game four, but we'll see. But obviously that would be a huge loss. He is an unbelievable balance for their energy, for their emotion, I mean, the, the play, look, you know, for all Walker shouldn't have run and he shouldn't have, part of the reason you don't run is you don't run on Garcia, who I'm not saying he's, you know, Roberto Clemente, but, you know, he got like, you know, he kind of reminds me of some of the great arms that I've seen. I mean, the ones for me in my career, and I didn't get a chance to watch Clemente play. He's my dad's favorite player. But I the two guys that really stand out for me are... Vlad Guerrero and Raul Mondesi, who used to have, I mean, just a cannon out there. But Vlad was the guy I always thought of. I was at Shea when I saw him throw from right field from the wall when he was with the Expos to home plate. And I never seen anything like that before. He's got a, an arm. I mean, led the league in assists. But he can impact the game point being in any way, shape, or form that you can imagine, in addition, obviously, the big hits and all that. But his presence in the lineup changes the way you pitch to the other hitters. You want him in there. You need him in there. And we'll see whether or not he can go. The rest of the series is one thing, but you got the day off coming at, you know, before at least if he needed a six and seven. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully Garcia can get back in there, though, for game four. It's going to be a bullpen game in game four, and that has to edge towards the Diamondbacks. A, they're at home. And, the you know, I've always said this about the bullpenning games in general and where they get into trouble. And the, the game that sparked me talking about this initially in my time covering the postseason, as we've watched this change, was when I was with TBS, one of the wild cards, and I don't remember which year it was, but the A's, I'm pretty sure it was the A's against the, A's against the Yankees. And the A's were going to go with their a bullpen game, right? And the Yankees were going to go with a starter. And I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you in this moment I remember who the names were, because I don't. The A's were going with a bullpen game. And I remember that we were talking, might have been on air, may have been off air, but just amongst ourselves about like what the idea was, prevailing thought of doing that. 
a bullpen game in the postseason, especially a must-win game as a wild card, you know, was at that time, which is win or go home, right? That game seven feel. And the thing that I remember talking about and saying, and that I totally subscribe to, it is not about the matchups. It's not about, I don't have, even if you have a great bullpen, you know, you may have all of the right pieces and you may have the guy who makes the most sense against lefties and the guy who makes the most sense against the righties and the guy who's got the length and the guy who doesn't. You got all that order set up and you've got, you could have the best bullpen in the league. But in a postseason game, especially, and look, I'm not saying, you know, who would be surprised if the Diamondbacks were down 3-1 and they won three games in a row? After what we've seen, probably nobody. But if you want to give them a realistic chance to win this series, it's probably a must-win game for them. At home to get this thing even. And they probably need to win the next one, too. But if you look at this realistically and you think about Arizona and where they sit, and you think about this being a big game, and you think about Texas and where they sit, and they're trying to go up 3-1, how many pitchers can you put in a game like this before you get to one who can't handle a game like this? Before you get to one who had his stuff in the bullpen but doesn't have it now. The numbers game of trying to ask six, seven pitchers to all have their best stuff, to all have it on the night, to all bring to the table what was expected in, in all those meetings about all the things that you were going to do when you came up with that order, and they come in with an order, and they'll, both teams will have one, of how they, in a perfect world, expect it to go. Like it's some all-star game because it's right. We're going to go here and then we're going to go to this guy. Then we're going to go to that guy. Then we'll go to this guy and then we'll go to that guy. Well, how many of that guy and this guy and those guys are going to all have it in a night and in a moment where bullpen guys are not used to, unless it's the closer, right? For the most part, being those big spot guys, that guy who's in the first inning, who's it going to be? How many of them are used to coming into situations like this? All it takes is one, and the probability in the number game of, <coughs> excuse me, one out of the six, seven pitchers that you put in there not having his best stuff, that to me is why these kind of things usually don't fare well. I personally think we'll see a lot of runs on both sides tonight. But that's where it gets wonky, if you will, because you can match up all you want, and you could have the better bullpen, and you can have all these things but at the end of the day, you're now asking seven dudes to all have their best stuff. It just doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. But it should make for some theater. Clearly, we know Bruce Bochy has a handle on things. I mean, you know, I saw people were, you know, posting. I keep, I keep mumbling because, like, I still say tweeting. I don't know, you know, really. Do you guys say Xing out? Like, that doesn't even sound normal. I, what is the posting out? No. So forgive me. But I saw people tweeting out yesterday, and I'll I'll be stubborn. During the game, like Ranger fans, like, oh, they shouldn't have they shouldn't have um they shouldn't have pulled Gray, right? They should have stuck with him. And then, you know, Spores got through it. And then, you know, Chapman shouldn't be in. And then, okay, well, Boach knows what he's doing. It's always like the perception versus reality of like manager is making a wrong decision. And then, okay, whew, deep breath. It's like when the, you know, the guy takes the bad three-pointer he's not supposed to take, but when it goes in, the coach just doesn't say anything. Uh, there's a lot of that 
in terms of people at home when they're watching. But both Tori Lovello and certainly we know Bruce Bochy both got a really good handle on their staffs. But that doesn't mean that the guy that's the right guy that they put in will not have the wrong moment and will not have the wrong stuff. It is very much possible. Very much possible. But I expect the Diamondbacks to even this series. I think they got a little bit of an edge in a bullpen game like this. I think you need to be careful because you got a lack of depth on the Texas side and you've used so much of gray. You're not going to have as many options to go through. This should, it's not a layup, but lean towards being advantageous to the Diamondbacks here in game four. So we'll see if they can even the series. Just a couple of kind of quick things on the way out non-baseball. Number one, the Sixers are a mess. They've been a mess since I was covering basketball years ago, all the time before it. They've been a mess since before I even started doing that. They're a mess now. They may be different machinations, but they're going to get Embiid out of there. The whole thing's got to get broken down. But one step is now done, and that's the James Harden thing, and that, that, that ship has sailed, and he's gone. On his way to the Clippers, here's the thing to me about James Harden. You can't go in and... and Start to, no matter where he goes, because we do this all the time, right? And it doesn't matter who his coach was, or his Doc River, or Mike D'Antoni, or any other place he's been, and who's the guy going to be, and how they're going to... It could be Ty Lue, it could be anyone. You can't look at the coach. Then we're going to say, well, we're going to look at the other players he had, whether it's you know Chris Paul, right? Or it's Joel Embiid, or whomever else, and how many... Kevin Durant... And Ben Simmons, it doesn't, Kyrie Irving, it doesn't matter. You can't look at the players he's going to play with. You can't go Kawhi and Paul George and a Russell or this guy or that guy and say, okay, well, this is why it's a fit. And that's why you can't do any of that because all that is off the table because James Harden, while he is bar none for sure, one of the most offensively talented players the NBA has ever seen. And, you know, I, I think most of you know this, but for those who don't, I'm a huge basketball guy. It's actually my favorite sport to play. I covered it. I still watch it all the time. He is one of the most offensively talented humans to ever pick up a basketball. And that is absolutely without question. He is one of the biggest pains in the asses to ever pick up a basketball. And that is absolutely without question. Nobody talks about the fact when Chris Paul, and it was covering that, when CP3 got hurt and they're sitting there and you got game six and seven and you got a chance to go knock out the big bad Warriors, where the hell was James Harden during all that? All the talk is, well, Chris Paul was healthy. How about if James Harden actually did anything? Anybody remember that game seven and that second half? What did he take, like three shots? I mean, on the graph of how much you talk and how much talent you have to how much you actually do when it matters most, there may be nobody worse in the NBA. Because I don't care what you say about Kyrie, and look, not my favorite guy either, with some of the stuff that he said, but we all remember the shot that he hit, which a lot of people think, and they may be right, is a bigger shot than LeBron's ever hit in his career. And I was at that game too. Coming back from down three, so you know, James Harden in itself, you can't go into who's the coach. You can't go into like, well, like you're know, going to break down. Well, this is why this scenario is going to work. He will infest the rest of it. Sorry, 
Doesn't matter how great the coach is, and you got one. Doesn't matter how many great players, you got a couple. He's going to infest that anyway. You've got to have the ball. Then when you give it to him, then it's not enough. He's going to slow down your offense because of the way that he has to work and handle things. And trust me, he's going to come in there. I mean, what is that? The leopard doesn't change their spots. That's how eventually it'll go. But the first game, they have eight points and 15 assists because he can move it. He can dish it. He's traffic. But what most, and when you give it to him, and when you ask him to please carry you, he will not be able to successfully do it in a big spot because he's not a game player. He's a fantastic player. He's not a big game player. But you know who is? Francis Ngannou. Because I got to spend two minutes on this. What a freaking performance from Francis Ngannou on Saturday. That was unflipping believable. It was unreal. Now, when I sit there and I didn't watch it twice, but in watching the fight, I thought by rounds that it was really tight. I probably had it fury up around at the end. I don't think it's a robbery. I think you absolutely could have said Francis won. I think if you taken the elbow into account, which you should have lost the point probably there, that he might have should have won. He might have could have won, but he won either way. You know, Rosie Perez says sometimes when you lose, you really win. Sometimes when you win, you really tie or all that from white men can't jump, right? Uh, let me. He won. He won the night. He won the fight. He he won the the sport of boxing. He won the bag that he never fumbled. This guy's story, you know, having nowhere to live, you know, finding his way to Paris, you're scrummaging, trying to just do anything, and then you're basically you're finding this this thing called mixed martial arts, changing his life. Wanting to be a boxer forever. I mean, even he never wanted to be an MMA guy, but boxing was always something that he wanted to do. And and saying, hey, look, I'm going to go fight the heavyweight champion in the world. Everybody thought he was an idiot. Like, there's no way you can get that fight. If you leave the UFC, you're a moron. You're never going to get that money. I don't know what the hell he's going to do in the PFL, and I don't want to see him fight anyone in the PFL. I don't think he should fight an MMA ever again unless, unless... Unless, because you never know. You, you really, you never know. Unless three years from now, there's some super fight. John Jones comes off the couch to finally fight Ngannou, and the UFC does some one-fight deal with him for a trillion dollars. Then fine. Otherwise, I don't want to see him fight anyone in MMA after I watched. If he could do that and now become a top-10-ranked boxer, and he certainly could fight Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, Fury again for sure is on the table. I'm not going back to MMA to fight. Who the hell the PFL going to get anyway? There's no way. But this was such a, if you like combat sports, the story of Francis Ngannou, people, if you don't know it, I'm telling you, like you're a baseball fan and you listen to me and God bless you and thank you. I'm telling you, go look up this dude's story. You will become a fan and never miss a fight of his ever again. But what he just did was one of the greatest things we've ever seen in the history of combat sports. 
To have a guy who has never had a body, first of all, you never have the baddest man on the planet conversations because we never actually see those fights happen. I mean, look at all the trouble to have Fury and Usyk actually get in, in the ring and do anything. But to have a fight where you've got the MMA champion walked off, right, but still in the UFC, right? And you get the heavyweight champion of the world. I know no belts were on the line, and thankfully for Fury, I mean, but you go do a rematch of those two, put the belts on the line, it's going to make even more, more money than you could even imagine. Right now, France is the best game in town in combat sports. And the UFC looked like morons, which they were to even get, you know, twisted in all of their own pride over a guy they should have never lost. But everybody was acting like Francis was some idiot. And this guy carved his own way, paved his own path. And look what he has just done. It really is remarkable. So kudos to him. Kudos to all of you. Thank you for being here. More unfiltered to come. Get all the interviews, all the conversations. Hop up into the bio if you're watching here on uh, Twitter. Uh, if you're already on YouTube, thank you. And you can get all the interviews. Of course, Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts as well. If you have any uh, comments, uh, been to the videos. I love talking back and forth with the sports. If you want to get any ideas for lists or guests or things that you want to talk about, happy to do that too. We'll continue to pump these out as the World Series goes on. Then, of course, we get to all the fun offseason stuff. I'm going to do a lot of basketball and a lot of hockey as well as we continue on and certainly combat sports and who knows what else. Uh, maybe even bust out a life pot or two. I haven't done those in a while. And, of course, keep you posted on the Little League uh, Roswell Georgia Diamondbacks, who are sitting there now one of four remaining teams uh, in the tournament. That semifinal to come uh, Thursday. And uh, in the meantime, uh, we bid you adieu for now. We'll see you next time on Unfiltered. Don't forget, Unfiltered is always presented and brought to you by good friends at Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.